What's amazing to me is watching your fan bases in your respective cities. And that supporter section now exists in every stadium. And it is the thing that motivates me the most. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest turned Major League Soccer into America's fastest rising sport. The commissioner of Major League Soccer, Don Garber. Presented by GEICO. When today's guest began work as the second commissioner of Major League Soccer in 1999, his predecessor, Doug Logan, warned him, young man, you're going to know what it's like to be in this crazy business. Nobody has any respect for me at all. Now, more than two decades later, there is universal respect and admiration for Don Garber. And it's my pleasure to welcome the commissioner to game time. Did you have any idea what you were about to get yourself into? I didn't, Boomer. I, I went to the opening press conference thinking, here's this young NFL guy. You know, I'd been there almost 20 years. Soccer could benefit from, you know, a seasoned sports marketing guy. And the headlines in the LA Times and the New York Daily News was, you know, Garber, the wrong guy for the job. You know, I don't think people realize, but Lamar Hunt and Robert Kraft, two NFL owners, were the ones who recruited you to take over this spot. You know, what was their vision to make you believe that you could make a go of it? You know, it's a good question, Boomer. I had been running the international business for the NFL. We had launched that NFL Europe League. If you remember, I had opened up offices in five or six different countries. I had been a marketing guy. So I was one of the young rising guys in the league. The league had a, a commissioner that was in there for three or four years. And the league was really struggling after the initial, you know, burst of enthusiasm. So they just thought, hey, here's a guy that's been overseas, was selling NFL football to football fans, you know, to soccer fans yeah. in the rest of the world. I ought to be able to figure out how to do it. I was at an owner's meeting and Robert walked over to me and he said, hey, Don, we're thinking of getting rid of our commissioner. What do you know about soccer? You know, at that time, you know, my kids were in New Jersey and I, you know, maybe I coached kinder kickers. I said, nah, I don't really know much. Maybe that's why they trashed me in the press conference. But he brought me over to Lamar and Robert said, hey, you know, Lamar, let's get Don. You know, he, he knows the international space. Let's have him run our league. And Lamar said, nah, I don't think that's such a good idea. And then Robert put his arm around me and said, ah, don't worry about it, man. I'm going to get this done. And then they went to Paul Tagliabue. Boomer, he was the lawyer for the NASL in the 70s. Paul actually was a soccer guy. And between Paul, Robert, and Lamar at that meeting, they literally traded me. All of a sudden, I found out I had a new job, and, and that was it, you know, and the rest is history. Welcome back to Game Time, everyone. Prior to becoming MLS Commissioner Don Garber, completed his tenure as Senior Vice President of NFL International, where his challenge was to sell American football, as he told you, to audience that were obsessed with what they call real football, and that, of course, would be soccer. You took that same kind of mindset, I feel, to resell soccer in this country. Is that true? You realize that there wasn't a cultural history of American football in Europe or in South America, and it still isn't. Where in America, the game is played here at such a high level. If you look at the best young players in America today, they're performing at the highest level, either at MLS or in the top European leagues. You see the game on television. You see it engaged culturally in our communities. We have the World Cup coming here. So you've, you, we had a base of cultural opportunity. 
Then you give people a league in their hometown. You build them a nice stadium. You sign some great players. I was with David Beckham last night in our offices in New York City, who owns our part owner of our new Miami team. And all these things create what I think will be a very, very positive new history for the sport for generations to come. You know, I'm glad you brought up David Beckham because when you were at the NFL, one of the things that you were a big part of was prioritizing NFL players and making them more real to the fans. And I see that you've done that with MLS. How much did you learn from the NFL that you brought to your current job? You know, Boomer, everything, and, and it was so important. And I, I don't get asked this question a lot because uh, it's been a long time, but my task was to take their helmets off, right? It's, that's when we worked together uh, with Steve and Frank on the, the NFL quarterback club and the quarterback challenge and the NFL's fastest man and getting players involved in entertainment programming and doing all the things that personalized the NFL player, which today with social media, it's, it's impossible to imagine that you would have had to do that you know, 15 years ago. And that idea of getting players engaged in the community, getting them well-known, signing big name foreign players like Zlatan or building hometown heroes, right? We have a generation of kids that were growing in the game and trying to make them stars a little easier now with social media uh, than it was back in the day without it. And I'm just wondering, when did Paul Tagliabu decide that maybe Europe or even South America was going to be fertile ground for football? So Paul said, okay, Don, you're, you, you got to figure this out. You got to hire people. You got to open offices. You have to figure out a plan. And the first thing we did was sort of strip everything apart and put that plan together and then put it back together with all the things that mattered with TV exposure and grassroots programming and teams like NFL mm -hmm. Europe. And, you know, ultimately look at where it is now, Boom. The games in London are spectacular. In Mexico City, they're unbelievable. You know, the NFL really has done a great job building its brand overseas. Do you ever see a team, an NFL team, you know, taking a hold in London full time? You know, I, I, um, I'm always skilled in never trying to comment on any other commissioner's vision for what they're going to do, right? So <laughs> my, my personal view, Boomer, is it's hard to imagine it doesn't happen for all leagues, right? Travel is getting easier. It's going to get less expensive with technology. Time shifting of games with digital over-the-top airing of games as opposed to having to depend on traditional broadcasting is all going to make them all, the world smaller. That shrinking of the world is helping soccer grow, right? Because we could see games from all around the world and people know who all these teams are. So I do think, I think the NBA probably has an easier task than maybe the NFL. I knew this with NFL Europe. You know, you've got 50, 60, 70 players. You've got staff. You've got infrastructure. You've got training. You've got so much cost where the NBA can fly one guy in a you know, team in a small jet you know, a couple of coaches, yeah. you know, have a few yeah. basketballs, and, and there you go. Under Don Garber's guidance, Major League Soccer has experienced sustained growth and popularity in North America. The league has expanded from 10 teams to 30 while setting records in attendance and revenues. But franchise values and TV rights deals just don't increase by more than 500% overnight, folks. And many of the long-term MLS success strategies were actually conceived at a meeting in 2001. It was a summit meeting in Colorado. And Don, tell me about that meeting and what was the vision and was it a meeting that you asked for or was it a meeting that was planned? You know, it's a great question, Boomer. I mean, it, it was the seminal moment in the league's history, probably the seminal moment in my career. 
and and most people don't realize we're we're still managing through 9/11 mm-hmm. at that point. You know, the league had been in in existence for a couple of years. It had been losing a lot of money. It had just 10 teams. Imagine trying to build a national business with 10 teams. And I, I had been asked by the owners to come up with a plan. And I sat with the league executives at that point. We put a plan together and we said, hey, you guys have a couple of options here. Invest hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And I can't tell you whether that's going to work. That was kind of putting myself out of a job, frankly. But uh, or let's double and triple down. Let's let's get stadiums built. Let's go out and create a company that would go out and buy the World Cup rights, create a commercial roll up, if you would, for soccer in North America. And we sat in Phil's ranch and Robert Kraft was there and Lamar was there and Stan Kroenke was there and then, you know, the Rams. And we just sat around for two days and we banged it out. It was epic. These guys all going from room to room. And we came out of that meeting with a new plan. That new plan built MLS to, you know, the trajectory it's on today. Yeah, and a lot of that had to do with building new stadiums. So how many new stadiums have you built and why is it so important for MLS to own its own stadiums? Well, at that point, Boomer, we had one that Lamar built in Columbus. That stadium is just being replaced this year, 20 odd years later, with a brand new stadium that Jimmy Haslam and his uh, wife, Dee Haslam, the owner of the Browns, now own in Columbus. So now we have 26 stadiums. We had one when I joined the league in 99. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. We'll open up a brand new stadium next year in Nashville, this year Columbus, this year in Cincinnati, this year in Austin, beautiful new stadium there. So man, it's it's an incredible story. So tell me about this designated player rule. I kind of like it because it sounds like guys can pierce the salary cap if you really want to go out and get a star. Yeah, yeah, I mean, think think of Boomer, the, call it the franchise player on steroids. Basically teams can go out and sign the biggest players in the world. Early days, it was these big name guys, right? The, Chirion Rhee and uh, Steven Gerrard and and Beckham and the like. And now a lot of those designated players are promising young South American guys that play in the league and then they get sold overseas for, you know, tens of millions of dollars. In many ways, it is uh, the equivalent of having a a player that it just doesn't count to the cap, but it's limited. You only have three of them. Mm. Everybody has the same rights to those players. And it was an idea that came out of that first meeting in 01. And years later, when we were talking to Beckham to come into the league, where we did research and said, there's a sophisticated audience here. They want to see the big name guys. So we changed our rules to allow them to come in. How big of it was, was it for the MLS when David Beckham did finally agree to come and play in L.A.? And then at the end of the day, he is now a part owner of your Miami franchise or investor in your Miami franchise. How big a deal was that? You know, it's huge, Boomer. He's, he was brilliant, right? He came in when the league, you know, it was 2006, you know, we had uh, 12 teams or, and he said, you know what, if I, if I come in and I make an impact, I want to capture some of that growth. You can never pay me enough money to play. And think about when you were doing your last contract, if you said, I'm going to be that guy who captures it. And by the way, we, we had to agree. And it was, a, it was the kinds of risky and creative things that we do in MLS. And today, think about all the ex-athletes that are part owners of teams now. You know, Michael Jordan, you know, being the most prevalent of it. But, you know, that was 10 years ago we made that deal before this became, you know, a popular thing for athletes to do. It re- and he's a very active guy. He's in Miami. I met with him yesterday. You know, he's signing players, signing coaches. It's, it's actually pretty cool. Welcome back, everyone. 
Not even as creative and talented a businessman as Don Garber expects to achieve dramatic long-term growth without encountering obstacles. However, no one could have foreseen the challenges that were presented to all sports leagues from the COVID-19 pandemic. And Don, this brings me back to the Nashville opening game last year. 60,000 fans, you guys are fired up and everything else. And then the league has to shut down. And I don't know, I don't know necessarily if everybody understands that your league was the first league to come back within the bubble. You had some initial problems of you know, getting started and all that other stuff but you guys pushed through. What was that experience like for you? You know, it, it was, you know, historic and memorable. And, uh, and I think it can be an important part of sort of how we look back at uh, how everybody managed through the pandemic when we're so, you know, we, we have almost 900 players, right? So when we went back, you know, the first thing we did, we, we have a relationship with ESPN. You know, I, I called Jimmy Pitaro and I said, hey, we're thinking that the only place we could do this is down at Disney. We got together with the people at the resort. A month later, we're, we're sending all of our players down. We built fields uh, on, you know, grass, grassroots, you know, softball fields and put lights, broadcasted every game with all of our network partners. And yeah, we're strong. we had to test every players every day and go into resorts that were not open to anybody and feed them and train them. And, and it was hot down there. This was in the summertime. We get through all of that, Boomer, and then we were the first league to then go on the road after the bubble and be able to play through our season and ultimately have a hosted, you know, game with fans in Columbus. So, uh, you know, I, it's so it's almost a blur in, you know, day in and day out medical protocols and testing and man. It, and, and, you know, this year is going to be a struggle too. you know, it's not going to be uh, as hard, but it's going to be difficult. So what is this season going to look like uh, from your perspective and what can the fans expect in terms of being able to attend these games? We're hoping to have as many fans as we can. I think by the summer we'll have more than 50% of our fans in, in stadiums and hopefully everybody's gonna get vaccinated and we'll be able to be as close to full as we can by the end of the year. What's amazing to me is watching your fan bases in your respective cities and how they cheer these games on. It's almost like they're becoming European before our eyes uh, <laughs> with the chanting and the way that they're choreographing all of their uh, all their cheers and everything else that that's got to be like music to your ears, seeing how now that your fans are really buying in to what you're selling. You know, another great story, Boomer. I, I remember going to my first game was in the Meadowlands. The, what was the Metro stars used to play in giant stadium. And I would go in, I I'm so excited. I have a parking pass. I could drive into the stadium where you used to run out. Right. And I walk in and I look up and, you know, maybe there's 5,000 people there. But in the end zone, there were 300 people going crazy, just cheering drums, painting their face. And I remember turning to a, a guy that I worked with, who's now the CEO of AC Milan. And I said to him, when those 300 become 3,000, that's when we know we've made it. And that teeny little supporter section now exists in every stadium. And it is the thing that motivates me the most. I want to have some fun with you here as we wrap up this interview. So let's do a little crash course in educating the folks out there about MLS soccer. You ready? I'm ready, man. All right. Who is the MLS's Patrick Mahomes, the most exciting player? Uh, I'd say it's Carlos Vela plays for LAFC. All right. Who is the MLS's Hank Aaron, the most goals? 
that is a guy named Chris Wondolowski who plays for the San Jose Earthquakes. Man, you're going to get me in trouble, Boomer, because I'm not going to know one of this, and then it's going to go on social media. I'm going to get torched forever. Oh, no, no, you know what? I actually thought you were going to have trouble with those first two, and you got them right out, right out <laughs> of the gate, so that's pretty good. All right. So who is the MLS's Tom Brady, the GOAT, and the geezer at the same time? Man, that is a really tough one. I, I would have to say, Boomer, it's a young guy retired early his name is Landon Donovan yeah he was the star of our national team he played his career in MLS we named the MVP trophy after him so I think it's too early for a goat for Brady but I'd say if I had to pick one today Landon so who is the MLS's Gronk you know the lovable goofball in your league uh I'm gonna say it's a goalkeeper for Atlanta his name is Brad Guzan He's played in for a national team. You know, goalkeepers have got to be the the gunks, you know. By the way, Brad kind of looks a little bit like Gronk, you know. He does. All right, good. <laughs> All right, who is the MLS's Bill Belichick, the greatest coach? Uh, it's Bruce Arena, you know, the coach now in New England, World Cup coach, LA Galaxy guy, also a big crudmudgeon, but like, like Bill Belichick. Right, exactly, perfect. <laughs> All right, so here's the final one. Which team is MLS equivalent to the 1960s Green Bay Packers, the 1980s Edmonton Oilers, or the 1990s Chicago Bulls, the dynasty team? You know, that's a tough one, Boomer, because it's so early in our history. I think if you were to do a poll of our fans, they probably begrudgingly would say it's the LA Galaxy. now, though, uh, it has to be, I guess it's also a new boom, probably the Seattle Sounders. They've made the playoffs every year. They're, they're multiple MLS Cup champions, uh, but they were a newer team. You know, the Galaxy came in in 96. You know, the uh, Sounders team, you know, came in 2008, 2009. But it's one of those two teams for sure. All right, so I know this Gary Bettman gets this in the NHL all the time. There's not enough scoring. There's not enough excitement. For me as a NHL hockey fan, I love the way the game is, and I love the way they open the game up. I don't want them to expand the goal. The goalies have gotten bigger. That's just part of it, so it requires more skill to score a goal. Uh, Do you hear, like, complaints about lack of scoring in your league? You know, early on we did, Boomer. You you may not remember this, but when the league was founded, they actually had a shootout. They didn't have ties. I came in, and again, I was the guy who knew nothing about the sport. And the first year, I said, "Hey, if we're going to play the world's game, we got to play by the world's rules." Uh, you know, I have come to uh, accept the fact that there are those who are not fans that will see, through lack of understanding or a passionate connect- commitment to the sport, they don't get the beauty of a tie game or a zero-zero game. But I, I will tell you, man, you know, a great soccer game doesn't necessarily have to have ten goals. It was great having you on. Our thanks to Commissioner Don Garber for joining us today and to all of you for watching. I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Hall of Famer Brett Favre.